0: Welcome to And The Writer Is with Ross Golan. There are millions of singers, thousands of artists, and only 40 songs per genre at a time. These are the stories of the hottest creatives, the most venerable legends, artists, songwriters, executives, and more. Come join our Discord, follow our socials, and share your music with the And The Writer Is community. We'll see you all there, and now, here's this week's episode.
1: What's up? It's Paige MacDonald, and this is your weekly music industry update. With revenues of $510 million in H1, Latin Music is still on course to generate $1 billion in the U.S. this year. SoundCloud just launched a new creator dashboard and a new name for its artist services platform, now dubbed SoundCloud for Artists. Hypnosis has struck a partnership with SongClip, which is a tech platform for integrating licensed music in apps. TikTok parent ByteDance dances and talks with labels to expand music streaming services to 12-plus new markets. Muddy Waters Estate has signed a global admin deal with Sony Music Publishing. After scrapping sales plans, BMI has transitioned to a for-profit business model. Probably Nothing is launching a Web3 label with Warner Records. Blink-182 is reuniting and has announced a classic lineup with Tom DeLonge for their 2023 World Tour. Warner Music has acquired a stake in the Serbian label, Mascom Records. Julie Greenwald has been promoted to Chairman and CEO of the newly created Atlantic Music Group. Lily Golightly has joined Verve Label Group as Senior Vice President of Publicity. Position Music has hired A&R executive Sam Scalar to join their A&R team. Sony Music Publishing UK has signed hitmaker Lost Boy. A big thank you to Charlotte Isidore of Mega House for gathering today's news. Now stay tuned for this week's episode of And the Writer Is.
0: Welcome to And The Writer Is. I am your host, Ross Golan. This week's smash producers built their careers up from the NYU dorms in, obviously, New York City all the way to the Grammys. They've helped define some of music's biggest stars while still composing records left of center of the broader musical culture. Their work pushes boundaries from Afrobeats to Grime, Latin Trap to Garage, Country to Pop to Alt, etc., etc., etc. And from their breakout Check West's Mo Bamba to executive producing multi-platinum star Lil Nas X's debut album, these guests have only brushed the surface of their inevitable monumental career. I mean, they're not even 30 years old, and the writer is are david burrell and denzel Baptiste, aka take a day trip
2: Yer. what's up that was, a <laughs> that great was amazing intro. yeah that was a great intro, Best intro we ever had
0: <laughs> gentlemen it is a pleasure i was just saying to david denzel before you came i i was saying that i, I always feel like you guys are in all of the sessions. I feel like every time I'm like, oh, I'm in with, they're like, oh yeah, I just did a record with Take a Day Date, or like they're, uh, you know, they're going to be in with Take a Date, or they're, like it feels like you guys are in a lot of places at once. Um, is that because there are two of you, or uh, is that just because you guys have a crazy work ethic?
3: Honestly, we go everywhere together yeah. when, it, when it comes to making music. So pro- probably the second one, which is uh, we just like to make music. <laughs> <laughs> like truly, <laughs> You know, well, but...
0: I want to go to the, like the beginning of your story because you know it's some of it's notorious. Anybody knows you guys or knows of you guys so you got you know to to actually meet in the dorm is kind of like every you know aspiring musician's dream is to know that they could find their music life mate you know in something like school. But um, you guys had eighteen years before that, so I kind of want to just go and you know. Each of you have a different story, but I, I want to hear a little bit of how you guys ended up in the dorm together. When one of you is from New Jersey, one of you is from Virginia, so a um, Vermont. Vermont. Sorry, my bad. And it's new. It started with a V. Okay, so um, uh, so let's just start. You know, uh, David, tell me a little bit about your childhood. I mean, what was that like?
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, I I was born in Providence, Rhode Island. And uh, spent my first 13 years there, but it uh, <clears throat> it was when my mom got a job in Vermont that, that me and my family moved up like right after my seventh grade year. And uh, <clears throat> there happened to be a little DJ school on this like little tiny street called Church Street. Um, and, you know, quite literally called Church Street, there's like a church at the top of it. And it's like that the tallest building in, in Burlington, Vermont, like super tiny town. It's like 30,000 people. Um, but you know, like snowboarding and ski culture is like really big there, and you have like Burton snowboards and like Ben and Jerry's was started there. So every now and then we have like these X Games like events and things like that happening. So you know, at the time where you know DJing is starting to serve a big purpose, like in that world, uh, there happened to be a little DJ school that that you know started up on that street, uh, and my buddy Zach Johnson was was my teacher for you know maybe the first four years. Um, and i met a bunch of kids there and just got really obsessed with it and it was kind of my first introduction to music outside of the radio you know it was like a whole history lesson of, of really just hip hop like from the late 80s all the way you know to i guess that year might have been like 2008 or something like that you know but i got really obsessed with just uh everything that i didn't know um and i th- i think through that uh really inspired me to want to you know start dreaming about wanting to be in music um and early on like my parents put me in lessons for like conga drums and piano like i was classically trained for you know eight nine years like did jazz training for four years um and you know really loved it but there wasn't the same freedom that i got from from djing um and when i heard about the clive davis school when i was like a junior or senior in college or sorry in high school uh And, you know, me and my dad used to go down to New York City a bunch to, like, see Knicks games. So it was, like, this perfect situation where I was, like, this is the exact place I want to go. This is the dream that I want to chase. And this is where I want to learn how to make music, you know. So at the time, I didn't even know how to produce. I didn't know how to do any of that. I had a knowledge of, obviously, playing keyboards and, you know, being in jazz band and playing conga drums and all that kind of stuff. But I had no idea how to sit in front of a computer and, like, actually, you know, be able to structure something out. Um, and you know, fortunate enough to to get excited, accepted accepted to the Clive Davis Institute, and you know, was fortunate enough to to meet Denzel my freshman year, and you know, we we kind of geeked out on all our early influences of just stuff that I was into, stuff that he was into, like kind of you know flip flop the things that we're into. I taught him how to DJ, he taught me how to produce, um, and then just over time we kind of started to lock into a rhythm and really really figured out what our flow was, you know. But that 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 was the my beginnings, you know, re- really to me, it started in Burlington, Vermont, where the, the interest of wanting to be in music happened. And before that was kind of the boot camp of, you know, getting into playing piano, getting into playing conga drums and not really knowing where it was going to take me. Um, but, you know, my parents were like, this is something you got to do. And I'm grateful that they did it, you know.
0: Yeah, I mean, you obviously have really good parents and supportive parents. Do you, did you have siblings or were you in this journey alone? I was in this journey alone. And I mean, for parents to say in Vermont that you should pursue the music industry or even look at the Clive Davis Institute feels like really progressive thought process. I mean, I guess you weren't born there. You're born in Providence. But that that also isn't necessarily like a hotbed for the music industry. Um, Were were they, I guess, I mean, how, how were they supportive of a music career coming from sort of i don't want to say the boondocks because burlington is not the boondocks but it's the middle of nowhere you know it's like it's like it doesn't how did they know that the music industry was a viable you know job for their kid
3: yeah i mean to to be honest it wasn't a you know it wasn't all flowers the whole way you know i definitely had to do a lot of a lot of convincing and you know, I I had to prove it, essentially. So when I, when I was DJing in high school, uh, my my DJ partner, uh, who I was DJing with at the time, was still my one of my best friends, this, this guy named Josh Decatur. And, uh, you know, we went to the same DJ school together, and through that DJ school, they started giving us opportunities to, you know, DJ a Burton event or, like, do a little showcase at this venue called Higher Ground, which was, like, the only concert venue in all of, like, Burlington, Vermont. And um, I guess my junior, senior year... Uh, There's a couple kids in my high school that wanted to throw these rave parties, and <clears throat> I happened to be the only kid in my whole high school that <laughs> knew how to DJ. So obviously, I was going to be the DJ that got booked, and uh, you know, I, I wanted I wanted it to work so badly. And I remember i go around my high school and I'd be like, these are the last five tickets left. And there'd be like, you know, 700 tickets left to sell. But these are the last five tickets left and like sell them real fast to five kids, go to the next five group of people, sell them real fast to the next five kids. And, you know, my junior, senior year, me and Josh used to throw these raves that we'd bring out like 800, 900 kids in Burlington, Vermont that, you know, really had... Probably not much to do except, you know, just have, have fun with, you know, at, at these raves and try to dodge the snow and all that kind of stuff. And I uh, was fortunate to have a bunch of supportive friends that shot videos of it and all that kind of stuff. And that ended up being uh, like when you apply to the Clive Davis program, you have to, you know, showcase a video and write a bunch of essays and all this kind of stuff. But that video, I think, really is what uh, helped put me in place to get accepted to, to, to that program. And at the time, I was like writing a blog and had all these other things going on. Like I was just really interested in trying to get out of Vermont, um, but be a part of the culture that, you know, I was obsessed with um, and was fortunate enough to, to be able to, to do a lot of cool things in high school that, that, you know, put together a really strong portfolio. And I think when my parents saw that, it kind of clicked in their mind like, oh, okay, like maybe, maybe our son is capable of, of, you know, being actually able to do this because people are actually showing up. You know, but when uh when I told my it was funny, when I told my mom about the the Clive Davis Institute and it was like, Yeah, only like forty kids get in and things like that, my mom was like, All right, and my mom works in education, my dad works in education. My my mom was like, All right, if you're gonna apply to this school, here's eighteen other schools I want you to apply to too. And literally for like months I was just writing essays for all these other programs, you know, my my mom being like Hey, you're, you're a black kid, like from Vermont, you might, you might want to look at like applying to these schools in Maine. Cause they don't have that many black kids. Like you'll probably get in pretty easy, but they're really good schools, you know? And in the back of my mind, I'm like, hell no. Like I do not yeah, want to yeah, do exactly.
0: that. Exactly. Right.
3: You know? And, and I remember me and my dad were on, on, on a way to, to a Knicks game. We were driving down to New York city and, uh, and we used to do that like once a month, you know, tickets were super cheap cause the Knicks sucked, but we loved love going to New York, love going to the games. And, uh on my way to new york i remember opening up my email one day and i was like you've been accepted to the clive davis institute of you know recorded music and, I, and me and my dad were just so stoked called my mom on my phone like you know she's she's like out of her mind excited you know like almost like <clears throat> it was almost a dream that like i wanted but wasn't sure if it was actually obtainable you know like 40 kids get in all this kind of stuff and uh know, i was fortunate to get in and it's like like it's this it's this memory in my mind that I can always repeat and I remember it so perfectly, you know and uh and that was kind of the first moment where I was like, maybe I could actually do this outside of outside of my little town in Vermont and you know expand past the the little thirty thousand you know person town that I'm from, and how does that
0: experience compare to you know hearing a song on on the radio, does it compare to that? And you're, when you're, like, you, you light up so much when you talk about finding out you got into that school. Do you think of that moment on the same level that you would, you know, finding out that you're nominated for a Grammy?
3: A little bit. I, th- I think it's a little different because as a 17, 18-year-old kid, that was, like, the opportunity of being, like, you can actually escape this tiny town and be a part of something that is your dream you know and I, th- I think me and denzel like when we did get nominated for grammys and everything like that we had been in the music industry for so long like working up to that moment that it was kind of, like we i think it was something that we could predict a little bit easier in terms of the amount of work and effort and time that we put into it like obviously being nominated for a grammy is like hell yeah like dream come true like Never would have thought that as the 17 year old kid, like driving to New York City with my dad, getting accepted to NYU. But th- that moment specifically, I think is probably the most special moment that I've he- ever had is like someone, someone being like, oh, for the first time in my life, this is actually something that I could do.
0: Yeah, you know? that's amazing. I think a lot of people think that, that the, the, the goal in life is, is, a, is a trophy or something else, and it's not. It's like, it's about a path. And if somebody's going to open a significant door like that, you know, I think most of us think of the biggest moments in our life not being the moment that they got nominated for a Grammy. That's just like, that's frosting. But the other thing is going to be that first session that you had that opened the door. It's going to be the first person you met in the music business. You know, it's going to be whoever's going to be the, whoever opens the door to like the next. The next part of your your journey so i i really like that that's your perspective um denzel i mean before we go to tell your story you know uh when we're talking about how you learned how to be a dj and uh, you know after you you taught how to be a producer but you learned how to be a dj you know what's what's the difference in you know in this era between a producer and a dj
2: yeah, I think now it's like the the lines definitely get blurred. There's so many transferable skills as far as, like, you know, understanding music, being able to count BPMs and just having taste in what to play, being aware of what people want to hear. Um, I think, yeah, like, you know, for us, DJing has always been something that informed our production so much and really being able to study what uh what people want to listen to and seeing specifically like okay let me play this song who's who's dancing like which people are dancing are they going to dance to this song no like these three people stopped like why did they stop who who are those people you know getting really deep into that that type of thing and like you know getting big into people watching while djing but i think you know djing is so much of like an instant gratification uh you know process where you play a song and like everyone's excited it'll take you you know five seconds to cue that song up uh and you just downloaded it like earlier that day but production is so much of a delayed gratification process where you could be working on something for weeks and months and it gets shelved for two years and it comes out like you know a year after that and then you get the gratification so it's like much more of a uh a self-reliance process um yeah and being being down to go on those on those journeys without the the gratification to keep you going
3: yeah but i, I you know I, like our our history in djing i think is probably one of the most important components to to how we figured out how to produce together and how to actually craft a record from that perspective you know when when me and dense dj together we're looking at people and we're like how are they dancing to this you know, we, we play like a, a West Coast beat, you know, or a West Coast song that's in 100 BPM. You play an Afrobeat song, that's 100 BPM. You play a reggaeton song, that's 100 BPM. And every single song might create a different reaction in terms of how people are dancing to it. And that, I think, really informed us how to approach making music and especially, you know, this last two years of like the TikTok boom and the TikTok era and, all, you know, people really showcasing dance you know, in front of their, in front of their iPhone, in front of their, their camera phone, Um, and being able to study those things and being like, okay, maybe if we place a kick here or place a snare here or play this synth lead line this way, uh, this is the type of reaction that we want to get from it based on all this, all the knowledge and all the studying that we did, like actually physically seeing people react to music in front of us, you know, and that, and me, me and Denz are like huge geeks when it comes to like music history and like seeing how people move and like rhythm and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, that, that's been a huge part of how, you know, fast forward to, to 2022, how we've really uh, developed our style of production is based on really our, our eyewitness of how people react to things in real life, you know, and, and really basing it off of, you know, how people have fun to music. You know how people uh, uh, build an emotional attachment to music, like all these kind of things. So,
0: we've done probably a hundred and seventy episodes, and I think that that's probably the most important piece of information that you can get in, in maybe any episode, which is that you know I try to explain how little, like it's how important it is to throw away your ego when you go into a room. And even for an artist, your whole objective is how can you make your fans enjoy their experience? Are they watching you? Are they dancing to you? Are they like, what is the per- what is your goal as an artist and as a producer and a writer? Your job isn't to placate to the label or to the artist. It's only to the fans. If you can understand how people want to enjoy their hour at this show. Or how they're gonna enjoy listening to this record in a car, or if they're gonna be listening to headphones or whatever it is, you have to understand who the listener is to write good songs. And so, like, the fact that you guys are saying that and have had that experience is so wise and will only just like help your career, you know, over the next 25, 30 years, because you'll just continue to see more people listen to more kinds of music and it'll be oh that's interesting because you can use that influence from this genre to that genre as you guys already know you know but um i love that you guys said that um denzel tell me a little bit about your life
2: yeah so i grew up in new Jersey.
1: life is full of what ifs some awesome like what if ai could fold your laundry
2: To new jersey just so it would be like a safer place to to grow up uh and the first town that i lived in was uh union new jersey which is like uh coincidentally where nisha and like halsey are from uh same town um and i went to a music school like a summer camp music school super early on i think it was like before kindergarten like before i went to school for the first time in in New Jersey was uh this summer program where I met like you know a bunch of my friends that I've had I had you know even to this day (laughs) when I was like you know four years old uh and I think my parents sent me there because before that I would just like you know get a bunch of pots from the kitchen and start playing them like drums or you know always seemingly gravitated towards music um so that really jump started my, you know, knowledge about music and or a bunch of different classes. Um, and this is like a music squad went through. I went to for like years. Every every summer, I would go to this, and there would be like jazz improv classes and uh, you know, learning how to read music, learning how to write music. It's pretty like rare now. That I think about it. Like I can't imagine that. Still exist or anything like that still exists for like babies to go to all the way up to like high school. Um, There'd be like plays, and I'm in the play and doing all this type of stuff. So when I when school started or music started in like the public schools that I was going to, it was like oh like let me teach you how to play the the trumpet or like you know I signed up to play trumpet and like everyone's learning like oh how to hold the trumpet. I'm like oh yeah I could like run through scales like nothing. I've been doing this for years, so I've always been like like because of that I was always uh, you know, a little head, and you know, I was in third grade and playing in like fourth grade, fifth grade band. Uh, so it was always something that was easy and fun to me because I had been, uh, I had been doing it. And um, I moved to this other town after fourth grade, Hillsboro, New Jersey, because Union started to get, you know, a little bit sketchy at times, uh, and that was like a completely different environment it was like a culture shock it was like a, a literally the middle of nowhere like farms and uh turkey roaming around and deer uh and being like the only black kid there so it was definitely like going from union which is like you know right by the new york city and you know everyone looks like me to a place where no one looks like me and then uh you know it wasn't like the most instantly I wasn't like instantly accepted there so i spent like a lot of time just on my own uh you know just go to school come home and i'm on my own you know every day over the weekend and you know repeat repeat so through that time of just having a lot of time alone i would just you know continue to learn as much about music as i could and uh sign up for like drum lessons and you know trumpet lessons bass guitar lessons uh and spent all my time doing that up until uh YouTube came out, and around that time, I was playing drums in the church, and you know I was cool with like the music director of the church and and we'd you know have rehearsals and stuff, and I knew that he was a producer, his name is Noel Goring, and he produced uh like the r and b singer Joe and you know like a ton of like big uh r and b artists before, and he kind of like stop producing to to work for the church uh and because i had been learning so much on youtube which was like completely new at that point uh i went from just playing drums in the church to being like oh yeah just check out this like cd i made with my mom like with my mom's laptop her work laptop i downloaded like fl on and i have like just doing all these like super intricate beats and he's like so you did this on your mom's laptop uh you should come by my studio so i would go to his studio every week and he had a studio in his house and he would teach me logic and uh how to play keys and we'd like record artists like we made a christmas album when i'm like in in high school and then through youtube i was like watching tutorials and like seeing ryan leslie for the first time like blowing my mind like oh my god like he's doing these things with these different instruments like i could do that so then I started making tutorials of how to make other people's beats. And I made one that was, like, how to make a DJ Khaled beat. I was like, oh, like, you know, DJ Khaled doesn't even make his beats. It's really, like, the Runners and the Incredibles, blah, 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 all this stuff. And then the one of Khaled's producers, the Incredibles, saw it and was like, oh, wow, like, you're pretty dope. Like, we should link up. So they came to New Jersey and we started working together. And then we were going to, like, Atlanta and working with 2 Chains and, like, when he was still titty boy and i'm just like in high school my parents are like what is going on like you're just in the basement now people are like flying you to atlanta to like work in studios and stuff uh and i'm like pitching beats all over the place and getting super into it just in in high school and like no one in my high school knows i'm just like the quiet kid like sits by himself and is on his laptop i was the first kid in my entire high school to bring a laptop to school i would just like always you know live my life through the computer which you know once production started becoming like a thing i was just so happy to always be on my computer um and like eventually i got my own computer i'm like bringing it to school and people are like why does this kid have like a laptop in school like he's a little businessman like bringing a laptop there's like no computer rules there's like because you know no one even had that so i was you know just doing whatever i want uh in that capacity and then when it was time to apply to colleges my grades weren't the best like I really didn't care about school and it wasn't like the best time for me so I just like you know my grades weren't great but then my mom was like oh this is you know school program that is just about things that you love to do already uh so I remember my parents being like yeah like we could go for a tour but you know, it's NYU, like, you know, your grades aren't the best. So I remember at that point, I was like, okay, like, let me, let me try to put this together. So I went to, like, every class that I had, like, a B or a C or a D, and was like, what's something I could do for extra credit that would, you uh, know, improve my grade, I'm down to do anything. Could I do, like, a song or, like, a video project or, like, put together a, a thing? And I did like extra credit, like making songs for like all these different classes and doing the entire periodic table in song form and like the teacher being able to use that to teach. And then all my grades went back up. I got so much extra credit, just like getting extra hundreds added to to my grade. And then uh yeah, I remember one day, you know, I wrote <laughs> I wrote my college essay for NYU. I only applied to like two or three schools and uh, two of them were backups, and I was like, you know, if I get into NYU, I'll get into NYU. But, you know, if not, I'll just I'll stay in New Jersey and and keep doing what I'm doing. And uh, I wrote my essay on <laughs> this Travis Porter song, which is so funny. Like, thinking back, <laughs> it's like all all the way turned up by Travis Porter. It was so funny that I wrote a college essay on that. But uh, I uh, yeah I wrote that and sent in, like, some of the beats I was working on and, like, put together this video because I was already, like, you know, getting at editing and final cut and all these things and uh yeah i'm just like in my i set up like a little studio in my parents basement it's just like krks and you know the laptop that i got and uh yeah i got that email i was like you're accepted to nyu i'm like is this even real like this this is not like a spam. real email <laughs> yeah, <this must> be <laughs> spam. I was like no nah. and then i like closed it for a little bit just went back to making some bees i'm like wait a minute does this mean, like, I'm going to NYU in a few months? Like, am I moving out of New Jersey and going to NYU? And I showed my parents, and I was just like, look, oh, I got this email. And they're like, oh, my God. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, yeah, that's dope. Yeah, this is going to be crazy. <laughs> and, uh, and, yeah, then, uh, yeah, a few months after that, it's moving to New York City.
0: Have you guys gone back since to teach or to talk at the school?
3: We uh, we did a couple things like during COVID, so we it's been mainly Zooms and and things like that. But it's uh it's definitely on the on the horizon now that things are starting to open up again to do to do something in person, you know?
0: Yeah, that's like the next thing is when you go back to your alma mater and you're like, because I just remember that freshman year where I, there was this one teacher that was like, uh, how many of you guys? You know, I think you're going to make it in the music business, and a lot of people wanted to be like managers and stuff. And you know, but how many people want to make music? And I raised my hand with like ten other people, and and they're like, uh, "You have a better shot at getting struck by lightning." Than, yeah. And it was like, "That's how like the school started." So it was like it was nice to be able to go back and be like, "I guess I got struck by lightning a couple <laughs> times." Though. um, so you guys are at NYU. You know, your histories are. Uh, are you un- unique and yet similar in some ways? Like, I think as you were saying, like being in Burlington and 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 being in the middle of nowhere, New Jersey, and both being, you know, n- not you know, like you were saying, like w- one of the only black guys in in Burlington and and the only black guy in that part of New Jersey. Yeah, a few
2: more moved in after, but yeah, there's a few. <laughs> but <of them. laughs> but
0: I I think like the you know what? What happens a lot when you enter the music business is that people pigeonhole you one way or the other. Um, did you find that going to school? You know, if you're studying, you know, you're a drummer in a church band. You're a, you know, you're playing music in a jazz band. You're doing EDM DJing stuff. You're doing all kinds of music. That's really versatile it's all kinds of different genres it's not you know even if you're doing stuff with two chains or even if you're doing you know you study hip hop it's not the only music that either of you do which now you guys have are are have you know your discography shows that you can do a lot of different music but did you find that people would assume the kind of music you would do because of who you are 100%
3: absolutely <laughs> that, that was like the biggest thing you know I think uh, when, when we started to Take A Day Trip a lot of our mission was to change the narrative on that you know and and when we really started to get into the music industry as producers uh, we were fortunate enough to to you know make a splash with this artist named Rory on this song called Cigarette Song uh, which is more of like a, a more rooted in like folk music I'd say than than hip hop you know um and that and that was our entrance into music so it was, was kind of cool for us to come in from a lens of not being hip-hop producers right at the front but even still coming in the gate with that song uh people still wanted to pigeonhole us and push us into rooms where it's just really other black people you know and we were really fortunate enough to to make incredible music with people of color you know from Mobamba to you know early songs like kung fu with corday and you know, little boat with eighty-eight glam, and you know all these records that we're so proud of, like super proud of. Uh, you know, all the early stuff with Juice World, all that kind of stuff, uh, and really records that were like dreams come true. You know, like like we were in the ba- like a basement studio in New York, just every single day for like twelve, thirteen, fourteen hours a day, just making beats, making beats, making beats, and trying to get a start in the world that accepted us first. And once that world accepted us, that's when we looked at each other and was like remember where we started with Rory, we want to get back to that and continue to change the narrative, you know? And we were fortunate enough to have opportunities with, like, Miley Cyrus and a record with Vince Staples for uh, the Spider-Verse movie that isn't, you know, a super, like, rap record. It's very much like a cinematic record and and Dua Lipa, like, Good in Bed. And uh, and then eventually with Nas, like, to this day, people still call Call Me By Your Name a, a rap record. Like, you know, there is rap on it, but... Like, come on, guys! Like, <laughs>
0: like, I think that's exactly that's exactly it. Is also like the way people define things. I mean, <laughs> this will be really hard to explain in the podcast, but we were—I was showing you guys the Super Bowl Shuffle, <laughs> <laughs> exactly,
2: exactly
0: for the Bears, and that that getting a Grammy nomination for Best R&B is just says exactly what happens when you have people defining what music is, and there's that great expression of. Talking about music is like dancing about architecture. <laughs> yeah,
2: That's you know,
0: exactly. and, mm. you know, and it's like when when you're when you're well studied in music and history and 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 you're into all these different genres, it's like you're just a you know it, it's it's you're using all these influences to make music, and, and this is actually a good era for. Producers like that because if you were twenty years ago, where there were just aisles and stores and aisles and stores, it's hard to put little Nas X in a in in an aisle. That's what makes him so special, um, you know. And and a lot of those records that that kind of straddle different genres. That's what makes it good, but that also makes it really hard to define. And genres are genres, obviously, still exist, especially with radio, but. You know, it it's just a much more of like a sea of is the song good or not, yeah, exactly. and how you, how unique is it? But wait, this is this is like probably the dumbest uh, journalistic kind of question. But um, where does uh, take a day trip come from? Like, why not just day trip? Well, why where did where did it come <laughs> from?
2: Well, when we so David and I were just working together in new york and you know we're in college and we're going to different places and i think we really gravitated toward each other because we were from small towns and we're like in the city now so our you know the, the thing that we really wanted to do the most was just ex- experience the most life as we could because now we have the ability to so we we're going to like sketchy studios in Bushwick and we're like traveling all around. We're going to miami with like no money and trying to figure it out just to go for like winter music conference and ultra like we have no passes we have nothing and we're just like finessing into places like do you know who i am like my my friends the dj for tonight like he's he's calling me right now he's gonna be so upset that you're not letting us in they'll be like oh i mean i guess like sure i just got hired at this security job yesterday go right ahead meanwhile we're
3: under 21 with no (laughs) fake id yeah with
2: no fake id and we were just like figuring things out and uh trying to take in as much information and as much influence uh, as possible and, you know, really just trying to bring in as much uh, inspiration as we could from experience. So that when we sat down with uh, our friend John Tanner, who is now our manager, he was like, so what do you guys want to do? Like what you can, you know, this is something you guys are making all this music together what do you want to call it and we were writing down things that we were inspired by and you know a lot of words that had to do with travel and the last one it was like this long list of of names and words that uh john was writing down on paper and like the last one is day trip and we we're like ah oh, yeah like we like to go places and the places that we go influence our music so that's there's something there's something there so we had we were like, all right, we're going to call ourselves Daytrip. And then, you know, there was like another day trip, and we had the email. They were like, we couldn't get the email like daytrip at gmail.com. Uh, so, oh, wow. We're, I mean, obviously our email is Trip at gmail.com, but like, we're probably going to have to change that. But yeah, that was like our first email. And uh, when we had to like figure out what we were going to shift our name to, we were like all right, let's just let's do take a day trip because we had already been using that a little bit so to make it more unique than the other day trips that exist in the world
3: yeah we we started a hashtag on Instagram super early on where it was like hashtag take a day trip and it was like our our essentially our college project was uh, and and we started a lot of it pretty early on mm-hmm. and, and right right during like the early Rory days where uh, you know the idea was to go to a different city every single month. And release a song that was inspired and based off what we experienced in that city. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously it's not something that we're doing uh, still. Uh, but I think that really informed a lot of our habits of what we geek out on with music. Like we love studying like the history of places. It's like even this week we're working with, with this producer that uh, I can't say his name right at this moment. But he was talking uh, talking about how... Uh, a lot of dub music in Jamaica, for instance, uh, where you get those bass sounds that are kind of like, like everything's like kind of muffled and covered. Um, And he was talking to us about how a lot of those things happen because it was actually just the quality of speakers that they actually had. So when they're listening to music, that's just what they thought bass sounded like. So then you have you know, Lee, Scratch, Perry, and all these people end up making music that is actually sounding like that because that's what they're hearing because of everything else that, you know, they think that's what it hear that that what it sounds like, you know? And I think things like that, you know, really just made us be like, wow, this is like, you know, hearing things like, you know, throughout our college career and everything like that, those were the things that made us excited about music and excited about the idea of going out to places and experiencing places and learning about the culture and learning about the music history. Like, why did this genre become a genre here? Why did this artist become an artist here? What was politically happening in that place and all these things and really taking all that energy and all that knowledge. And, you know, the dream was to work with local people and all that kind of stuff to create like one song for one month in whatever place we went. And, you know, we realized very early on as two college kids that didn't have any money that that was really fucking expensive and we just could not do that, you know? So we we stopped pretty quickly. Um and you know but you
0: guys were I mean you guys were releasing the music as the artist which really kind of explains the importance of the name too is like you guys were actually releasing the music, um and that that plan is still something you guys could do especially because now you've worked with so many big artists you could easily do like take a day trip and find a bunch of these artists from different cities right. that you love and and now do it like really blow it up we
2: always check back in like every year or year and a half or so like. Isn't that all the only time that we should do that project? Like because that was always our dream. Like the only reason that we even produce music for other people initially was to raise enough money to do that project, to go to like a different city every month. So
0: why don't you do that? I can guarantee you, there's there are a bunch of people listening to this that that would love to uh, help you help fund you guys doing a a, a countrywide, worldwide. It's a record like that. It's,
3: it's, def, it's definitely on of the mind, you know. I think nice. Well, I think at the moment, it's a our our purpose in life is to help Lil Nas X's dreams come true, you know, and we're we're just the team that that you know helps put these mm-hmm. these important records together for the world, you know. Absolutely, but,
0: totally. I mean, like the I, you know going to you know the the records that really do end up spreading throughout the world. You you've, you did a bunch of things on some records that were, you, you must have been working on them while you were in school or right when you graduated, some that actually went platinum. I'm sure there was, you know, this feeling of like, we can do this. There had to be a lot of encouragement um, during those later parts of NYU and, and early parts out of NYU where you are making enough money to kind of survive at least, you know, and, um, But there's sort of a difference between even an album track on like the Black Album, you know, or something like that, where you you have like, you know, Quavo is obviously huge, you know, you get these like some some pretty decent size, um, you know, I know he was on the A track record and stuff. Like you have like at the time you're having a bunch of these big names, but the big names really. They mean something to move your career on, but it's different when you have something like Mo Bombo, which just takes off and is like a whole other thing. Mm -hmm. And and it's so weird because like if you listen to like the music that you had released up until then and the music since then, it's so seemingly simplistic and, and you know, it's not overcrowded. It's really like you chose like the right amount of things and the right amount of vocal production it's like it's just super tasteful but if i heard that song next to some of the other records i don't know that i'd be like if i didn't know that it was going to be successful like wow this is going to be just a giant smash tell me a little bit about watching that song go cuz I, I mean i don't want to put words in your mouth but my guess is that you didn't have You didn't think that this was the song that was going to blow open an entire career, you know, when you were getting in the rooms with some of these really big name kind of artists.
2: Yeah, I think when we started, our mind was kind of split uh, into two different purposes for production. Because when we started, uh, you know, this was pre-Spotify era that we're in now where everything is like categorized and in playlists and things just end up rising to the top on, the, on, the, on their own. And hip-hop wasn't in the place that it is now. So when we signed our first publishing deal, we're like, all right, we're doing this because we want to raise enough money to travel around the world. So we'll do what they want us to do. So we're going to like writing camps and really pushing, they were pushing us towards doing more pop stuff, like stuff that's going to make money for the publishing company. Uh, So we didn't really get that many rap sessions. It just wasn't the vibe then. It was a lot of, yeah, just like pitch songs to like send to like whatever was the biggest artist was then. And then we were doing that for a little bit and, you know, we built like a little studio in in New York and we're like, all right, like, but we don't have a session today. Maybe we could just have one of our friends come over you know, our manager, John Tanner's found this artist, Trezo Q from Virginia. He's like so fire. Maybe like we'll work on our, like our side, like a little rap project on the side and and do that for fun. And through doing these pop sessions, which really like, you know, it was it was like boot camp learning about different ways of production and songwriting, uh, and developing, developing those skills there and having certain records come out and then you know, we were doing our thing and we were like, uh, you know, we want to listen to these songs, you know, at a barbecue or something like let's see if we could figure out a way for them to get on Spotify as well. And I remember we put out a couple of songs with our friend Trees Low Key, who's from Virginia that our, our manager found. Uh, and we became like really close friends and we were just like, you know, it was just fun. It's like, these are the songs that we we're going to play with our friends. So we put like a couple of them out. And then we wake up one morning, and it's like, whoa, like, did you see that the Tree song is on the viral chart on Spotify? Like, I'd never even heard of the viral chart on Spotify. What does that even mean? And uh, I remember it came out the same day. Like, we put it up on Spotify the same day, like, another, like, pop song that we did came out. And it was just, like, out streaming like crazy. And it's like people are hitting us up like, yo, that tree's a Key song, like, I don't mind. It's going crazy. Like, that's so far. And then we we're like, oh, like, you know, maybe... It's possible that there's some, the stuff that we really find fun could be the things that actually make us money and pull us along this journey. So then our thought process kind of switched and was like, all right, let's just do these things Like for the culture. Let's do things that when we go to DJ, that's going to be what we're going to play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we were DJing a lot at that time, uh, you know, just trying to survive in New York and make our little three $500 a night. And... You know, we're playing, like, Hot Niggas, like, oh, my God, like, the place explodes. Like, whoa, like, that's crazy. Like, this song really does that every time. Uh, Bodak, Yellow, you know, these certain New York songs, like, being in New York, you drop that one New York song, it's like, oh, everything is going crazy. And we were, like, talking amongst ourselves, like, you know, we need one of these records. We need to do something like that that's going to really just, like, shake up the culture. Mm -hmm. So we're doing a lot of, like, you know, shots on goal of just things that are cool, like, You know, Rocky and Ferg were going crazy at the time. We're having mosh pits at, like, apartment parties. Like, the floors are, like, caving in. (laughs) We're like, man, like, that's the vibe. Like, the pop stuff is cool. We'll do that when we get to it. But we'll just do stuff that's going to be fun to listen to in a sweaty basement. So when we did that record, it definitely had that vibe. It was like, oh, yeah, this is like, you know, fuck the rules. Like, we're just doing this to have fun we don't care what the pop you know listeners listening to right now this is just for us like this is just for us to play with our friends and definitely people were were like yo what is going on with this song like there's no format no structure
3: especially early on i mean that that record came out in june 2017 and didn't become a hit until like fall 2019 you know, like, it, it took a long time. And I, I remember, like, during that summer, like, 2017, like, into fall, every now and then, you know, Ali, who's, like, Ali with the motherfucking dope, like, we'd run into him every single time, and he'd be like, yo, like, I was at a party in Brooklyn, and, like, Mo Bamba like, got played, and, like, the place went off. And me and Denz are like, wow, that's crazy. That's like, crazy. We weren't there, so, like, we have we have no idea, like, what that means or what that looks like, mm-hmm. you know?
2: And then one day, I'm in the studio. it's like, a Saturday, like, at night you know i wasn't really doing anything and our friend mel is friends with with the yes jewels and uh she came by and she was like throwing parties around the city i was like oh wow that's dope like it's yes jewels and i'm like working on this beat and then she's sitting in the back just you know doing work on her laptop and she's like oh this reminds me of this song like uh it's like a really cool vibe like have you heard this song mo bamba i'm like oh yeah i know that song how do you know that song she's like oh yeah that song is so sick like i love it it's just so interesting i'm like well yeah actually we made that song in this room that you're in right now she's like what no way like i'm having this party next week for fashion week you guys have to dj like i had no idea and we're like all right yeah sure like we'll dj like you know 500 bucks can't hurt and and we pull up I remember Kerwin Frost is DJing and like Spaghetti Boys. It's like some real downtown underneath One Oak, not even in One Oak. Some real, you know, fashion we Trinidad James is there in six nine and all these things and we're, you know, this is like one of the biggest Parties that we've DJed because it is Fashion Week, and yes, Jules booked us, and we're like kind of nervous to to get into it. But Kerwin, we're upstairs, and Kerwin plays uh, Mobamba. We're like, what? Like, how does he know Mobamba? And we're hearing like the floor start shaking under us, and we're like, what? Like, why? And then uh, <laughs> the next DJ goes, and they play Mobamba too. I'm like, what? Two times in the same night? Like, that's so weird. And then we're starting to hear like people screaming. We're not even in the room, we're just like upstairs in the actual like one oak just like chilling, waiting to to go downstairs for our set. And we get down there, it's like completely packed. And then uh we get on, we're like, Hey, we're like take a day trip, you know, we're you know, from from here and uh we're gonna play this this song that we just did and we just like drop Mobamba as the, like the first song. And we're thinking it's gonna be like, Oh yeah, dope. As soon as we play it like ding 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 people are like, Oh, people like throwing like chairs <laughs> across the room and like jumping off of things and then the chorus hits and like everyone is going crazy like just throwing things around throwing drinks and like having a mosh pit like an entire club just turns into a mosh pit and we're like what is going on when we brought this song back like a few times but
3: i think i think that moment you know go, going back to talking about special moments and you know when when i got into clive like that moment felt the exact same that
2: was like that i remember getting home and like not being able to sleep at all i'm just looking at everyone's stories that were at you know the 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 event that night and they're all like they're all posting mobamba like the when we dropped mobamba and i just i could not sleep i was up to like five o'clock in the morning it it was the
3: first time that we actually and this was february 2018 during fashion week so you know the song had already been out since june 2017 so all this time had gone by where me and Denzel had not seen that song react in any room ever until we had the moment to to DJ and play it for the first time. And, you know, Ali's there, like he's like on tables, like jumping up and down. Like we had been working with Nick Cannon on music a bunch, and he's like literally right <laughs> behind us. Like his mind is like blown. He's like, What is going on? Like, you know, it's like when six it's like the six nine era where like six nine's really big, like you know, Goldlink had like crew going on, like that. That was like the time of music, you know. And all these people are in the room, so like, for me and Denz, it was also special because there's like legitimate people that we want to reach and we want to talk to that are also experiencing this moment as we're playing our record that we made
2: with Shack. Yeah, as soon as, as we know? like leave, everyone's like, "Yo, we got a link, man. Yo, we got a link up. We got to." And we're like, "Yo, that's like, this is everything. This is what we want more than anything. Like the, you know." big radio song with an artist that is like super well known i'm sure that would be really cool too but the feeling that we were always chasing and that we still chase is that exact feeling when something reacts like that in real life and really means something to to people specifically
3: yeah that that night and a couple days after like i've never never held my head higher you know it was like it was like one of those moments where you're like oh like i'm i'm proud of what we're doing like i'm like we're shocked like it was definitely like shocking (laughs) but like we're we're, like this is something that maybe like the dream is actually starting to become alive you know and i I remember for me personally that night was really crazy because like my my family dog of like 14 years like passed away that same exact night and like right before like we were getting ready to dj like my mom calls me on the phone like she's like oh like you know and my, my mom was out of town like wasn't with my dad and like you know delivers the news that our family dog champ had just passed away and like my dad calls me on, like, or I call my dad right after, and like he's bawling, crying, and like, you know, telling me that like Champ passed away in his arms, and like all these things, and like, have this moment of just like, you know, that dog meant so much to me. Like having this moment of just like, I don't even know if I can actually do this, you know. And <clears throat> honestly, like hearing Mobamba played by Kerwin and like Lucas Abad and like the other, I forget who else was DJing that day, but, but seeing that song or hearing that song you know and actually being like oh shit like that's something that we did and is like i can actually hear people like reacting to this song it gave me a little bit of extra energy to like keep going through that night and for me personally it's like one of those like you know god moments that's like it's giving you like a moment of like almost like my family dog like brought this energy into this room was just like yo run with that shit you know <laughs> like you were so great in my life like keep going you know and i i i like i think about that all the time like it was just like like, out of all days, you know, out of all nights. And, the, like, this song that had been sitting really on our laptops and on SoundCloud since, like, June 2017. it came out two days after we made it. You know, like, we've told the story before how it's, like, one take, you know, laptop freezes. Like, all these chance things. And me and Denzel used to always look at each other, like, one day out of all these years that we spent in New York, out of all these years grinding in New York, just, like, trying to chase our dream. Like, we want a record like Hot Nigga. Like, we want a record like Bodak Yellow. Like, we we want something that, like, touches New York at its core, you know? And seeing it react in that moment with, like, a room full of people that we've been trying to interact with, like, you know, Nick Cannon in the back of us, like, (laughs) a room full of all these kids we went to college with, like, all these kids that we met after college, like, you know, family, like, family in the room and, like, all this stuff. And just, like, finally being able to, like, almost release all that energy out with a song that, allows you to release a lot of energy out was such a special moment you know and i think in a lot of ways like grammy nominations awards like all that kind of stuff even number one's like special but that moment is it's like untouchable yeah. you know like it, it was the first moment that we were like it like coming like going going from like our old farm towns where like you know vermont's 98 percent white like you grew up in like probably a 98 percent white like <laughs> yeah. farm town like being these only black kids that just wanted to be a part of a bigger world and be a part of a world that also had people that look like us, you know, and being able to step into New York and get to understand New York, get to learn New York, get to to learn the culture of New York, and then have a dream of wanting to make a song that touches New York. And then after all these years, like 2018, like we started school in 2011, graduated in 2014, and four years later, finally have that moment with all our family, all our friends, Mm -hmm. like all these people that at the beginning believed in us like nick cannon at the beginning believed in us like you know and then all these new york icons and things like that that are like to the left of us and finally have that breakthrough moment of being like maybe we can actually do this
2: it felt like the entire years that we're in new york it's like we're trying all these keys and all these different doors we're going to every door we're trying it with every single key we have it's like We're not getting anywhere. Nothing is working, and that one night that we drop Obama, we put the key in the door, turn it, and the door just breaks off the hinges. And we're like, "Okay, it's
0: always it. It's so weird because you can't predict why certain songs touch people because it's not like that was the only time you tried it." And then, but for that one to hit and and then to be able to experience it from the artist's perspective, being able to actually be the DJ and see it from the stage is something. But like, it, it's one of the parts of the last few years that if you had a hit in the last few years, you didn't see it happen you didn't hear it with other people because there weren't festivals there weren't concerts there weren't anything so like people were listening in their car they were listening on at home or whatever it was but they weren't you didn't get a chance to be in a room that was crowded with people so like the fact that you guys were able to experience it a few times even before everything that went down the last couple of years is amazing. And I mean, you went from that song to something that became a little more mainstream. If Lil Nas X at the time was mainstream, he really ended up, you know, striking a chord, but then you kind of pull it back to this like really authentic kind of record form with Panini. That thing was also just, I think at that point you had to have, unlike the other one where it was, it, it you know, where I think it was probably there's some random story in it this one had to feel like you know you knew it when you were done with it that this was going to be something or or am i wrong with that
3: you're talking about panini right yeah 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 i mean that, it, it.
0: hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
3: Like, it's it's crazy how that record happened because that was also like a... uh, So
2: serendipitous.
3: Yeah, like how, how Mo Bamba came out two days later, obviously, like, took a while to bubble. Panini, the snippet, came out literally before we left... the 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 studio session (laughs) like we didn't even record the second verse yet like we came in like we fortunate enough to have built like an incredible relationship with dot the genius beforehand and actually today is a really special day because the first record that we ever made with kid Cudi uh and the first record that really uh started our relationship with dot the genius this record do what i want that just came out today which is a beat that we made in like 2018 uh, we made an early pack for Dot the Genius, maybe like twenty nineteen or something like that, and then our relationship started to blossom from there. Because you know, Dot eventually d- delivers the news that Cuddy loves this beat. He recorded a song to it, and from there, uh, he's we, like,
2: he wants to invite you to the studio. We're like, what? Like that's crazy. And
3: and from there, but from there, we just built this incredible uh, collaborative relationship with Dot the Genius, just making idea on top of idea on top of idea. Uh, you know, in hopes that we get more records with Cuddy and in hopes that we get more records with other artists. Um, But within that crop of records, like one of our earliest studio sessions, we made that Panini beat, you know? And fast forward to, uh, you know, I want to say it was like, it was sometime top of April. um, And uh, our A&R, James Supreme, uh, who was our A&R at the time at Universal, was like, hey, like, I know you guys are in L.A., uh, there's a new artist you might have heard of him, Lil Nas X, that has a song called "Old Town Road" that like just went number one this week. You know, and he's, it's his first time in LA. It's also your opportunity to have his first studio session ever. You know, and me and Denz are like, we have nothing going on today, so like, sure, why not? Like, let's go. You know, and like, pull up to the. How
0: crazy! Like, had you it, had it been like oh Thursday or something like that, and you were in with whoever that artist is, you would have been like. Sorry, man, we can't do it today. Like, yeah, literally, if let's we had do
2: anything it, on the schedule, we wouldn't have anything done it. else.
0: And, and it's not, and no offense to him, it's just like that's just the way it is that if your schedule happens to be open
3: and it, and it happens, your, yeah.
0: your life, your life change,
2: right. like, it that. To be open. I, the I, only thing we had that day was a uh, meeting with someone who, uh, with our publicist, and that was like our first time meeting him when we go to this restaurant and we see
3: there's a there's a funny backstory
2: yeah we see nas like nas is at like big nas like og nas at the restaurant Like what nas is here and then we're it's uh we're getting pasta we get like beef pasta and we go over to the studio and we're working with lil nas and we have like a bunch of um you know like country type beats already prepared uh we play him like a bunch of things and he's not really gravitating towards anything and he's like you know how i just kind of want something different like i want the most weird different thing that you have
3: Yeah, he said he wanted something futuristic
2: yeah so then we're thinking like oh we just did a bunch with doc for cuddy like that's always the vibe with cuddy so this is one that he didn't pick and we play the panini beat which name the name of the beat is beef pasta and we just had beef <laughs> pasta and we just saw nas, and, and Big some nas ba- before
3: and some backstory on that like for the longest so time, in, or, in order for us to remember our beat names, we started doing like creating like the day trip recipes. So every single one of our beats is named after some sort of food. Like some of them are quirky, some of them are real. Like some, you know, and happened to name this one beef pasta. Happened to be eating like you know beef bolognese, like <laughs> pasta at at a uh, John and Vinny's. Like the OG Nas is literally like a like a couple tables away from us, you know, and we're getting ready to have this session with Lil Nas X. And, you know, going through all the ideas that we had prepared for him, he gives us the prompt of being like, I want something futuristic. And it happens to be the most futuristic beat that we had in our portfolio was this beef pasta beat that we had with Dr. (laughs) Genius. And, you know, playing this record. And I think the thing that immediately uh, made us realize how special of an artist he, he is, is without even knowing the terminology and exactly, you know, You know being able to identify a kick drum from a snare and a hi-hat you know there, early on our relationship he'd be like oh like turn down that hi-hat it'd be like a snare drum or something like that you know like it, it was the very beginning of his music knowledge you know but without having the terminology and all that kind of stuff he immediately knew where he wanted the sections to be you know so he was sitting down with us he was like move this section to here arrange this this part to here like move this to here move that to here and maybe within, like, 30 minutes, 45 minutes to an hour. Uh, you know, within that time frame, he had written out the first verse to the chorus and all this stuff.
2: Mm-hmm. And a pre-chorus, and we're just sitting there like, okay, he had to just rearrange all these parts, and then he wrote this entire thing in his head, but perfectly took a song that was, like, started with, like, a chorus and then went to, like, a, you know, the verse and the pre-chorus next, and then, like, a bridge. He, like, rearranged it, did, like, intro verse pre-chorus chorus and then wrote perfectly to that and we're like yo what is going on like did he just it took us a minute to even realize like what he just did i don't think he cognitively knew like he was moving those parts to make that arrangement but we're like whoa like that's not normal to do that <laughs> on your first session ever yeah,
3: yeah. especially being yeah. so new to music you know i mean like not not so, like old town road is one of like the earliest songs he ever made like out of making music in general like is maybe like song number 13 that he had actually made you know in his entire life and it becomes this massive like it's the biggest song ever you know in terms of you know how many times it's certified platinum you know and comes in like very new to la first time in la first time having a studio session with any producers and tells us exactly what he wants tells us exactly where he wants the parts to be and goes in and just you know, record, record. Like the melodies are perfect. You know, it's like even the whistle at the very beginning of the record. We're like, this guy whistles flawlessly. Like we have to keep this <laughs> in the intro. Like this is incredible. You and know? he's
2: like, you sure you like that whistle? We're like, yeah, that's fire. And then we're like, oh, what if you tried to like layer the chorus? He's like, what does that mean? It's like sing it like this, octave up. He's like, okay, I'll try it and like does it perfectly. He's like, oh yeah, that's actually pretty fire. So we pretty instantly like established that mutual trust. And then he's like in the corner like, oh, can you take this video of me
3: listening to it? Second verse has not been done at all yet. So
2: we're like taking this video of him and he's like, okay, dope. And then we go back to like, you know, comping his vocal and then start seeing like all these notifications like all coming in. It's like, yo, that Panini song is crazy, like literally instantly as we're working on the song he posted it he didn't tell us he was posting it it's just up on the internet and our phones are going crazy like how do you even know this kid like this new old top road kid like this song is crazy
3: and I, i think the really awesome thing about that one too is a lot of people that we looked up to in the music industry started commenting on that one so you know we go to like the genius page where like they reposted it or like you know all these different you know different instagram like blogging pages and things like that and see You know, I remember, like, yeah, Boy Wonder, like we were geeking out over it. Oh my god! God." Boy Boy Wonder likes this record, everything like that. (laughs) And that was another moment where we're like, maybe we can, maybe we can do this. You know?
0: Yeah, it's one thing when you when you get that first. You know, there are a lot of people who have a hit. There are a lot of people who have a hit. Not there are a lot more people who haven't, but there are a lot of people who have a hit. There are very, very, very few people who have two. Like, if you can get that second one, there are people in the Songwriter Hall of Fame who have two hits. There are people, like, if you have one hit, it's really hard to do that unless you wrote, you know, the biggest song of all time, maybe. But, like, it is so hard to repeat it. And and it becomes a thing where you're like, oh, this isn't a fluke. This is legit. And it doesn't matter who, who, you know. It's frustrating when, when you hear about somebody being as talented as... Little Nas X because you're like, come on, man. Like, (laughs) everyone else had to write more than 13 songs, and everyone else went to like, had to go to school and do like, you know, not everybody's a savant. But, you know, for most people, like, to earn that second hit is like, uh, that's the moment when you're like, okay, thank God. You know, like, I know that that, that if all else fails, I did it twice.
3: Yeah. I think think that moment was awesome too because so many people were rooting for him ever since he got taken off of like the country, you know, billboard charts and all these things. There's like mm. that controversy around the Old Town Road record in terms of the entrance he made into the music industry. He was immediately backlash in categories where he probably shouldn't have been, have been backlash from, you know? Like I remember Texas uh, you know, like the basketball team made it like all the way to the to the NCAA like championship that year and like Old Town Road was like their fight song the whole way through. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to, to go to the championship because my mom works on the NCAA uh, Division three board. So I'm sitting in the audience and, like, these white dudes with cowboy hats, like, in, you know, the Vikings, you know, stadium are, like, <laughs> yeah. screaming Old Town Road. And I'm, at, yeah. and I'm, like, sitting there, like, like, these people are reacting to it this way because it's something that touches them in the world that they're from. And all of a sudden, this guy is getting shunned from – The charts and all the things that should be accepting him and you know it was it was at that moment where people were like really rooting for him to keep going you know and then all like panini snippet goes up and it was almost like the whole world like the whole internet that we looked up to like we obsessed obsessed over like the boy wonders of the world all that kind of stuff coming to his side and being like yes this kid has more in the tank you know like this kid is more than just this record old town road and in that moment that was also our The moment where we saw that eureka moment of being like this kid is way more than Old Town Road. Like we saw, we saw him make a record from scratch from the ground up, and saw his knowledge and his intuition of just how he knows how to make the perfect record for him. Mm -hmm. You know,
0: before before you work on Montero, which happens a bit later, you have like you start to work on all those other kinds of records. You know, you end up on Future Nostalgia, which is a massive, massive album. I think it might be like the most streamed female album of twenty twenty one or twenty twenty whatever it was. You know, um, you know to work on Dua, and then to have like Weezer a number one rock airplay with Weezer, man, legends. Just like with Rivers Cuomo, like I imagine that there becomes like um, a feeling. Like maybe this isn't the right word, but did you start thinking it was easy?
2: It wasn't. It the thing that happened. There was a switch that I think happened around the time that we met Nas, where a lot of the things that we were doing before seemed like we were spinning our wheels and getting nowhere. We're putting in so much effort and nothing was changing, uh, and then. Naz's outlook on like life in general was, was so different and refreshing because it was like he was just like radiating so much positivity and just like belief in himself uh and then his like belief in us at that time was like, wow, like you know he's so positively sure that you know he's gonna be great and we're gonna be great so like I think our energy switched from being like oh, damn, like, nothing's working to, like, wow, everything works out so easily for us, you know? Everything is great and, you know, we do what we want to do and the things that are supposed to happen happen and things that don't happen don't happen for, like, a reason. But, you know, with the Dua thing, we had met Dua years before and we're, like, working on a ton of records for her and she didn't have anything out and they just, like, didn't come out. Like, they didn't make the album and we had been working on the Weezer song, um you know years before and it's like the, the different artists cut it and it just that, never worked that,
3: that song has been reproduced like literally 25 times
2: so many times and it's just like nothing was working and then uh yeah after you know Mobamba and Panini
3: and also you know we were fortunate enough to to work with Juice World super early on you know mm-hmm. and and made Re- legends and Rich and Blind uh you know obviously on a on a very unfortunate day uh, which was the day that XXXTentacion, you know, was was unfortunately shot and killed, mm-hmm. um, but...
2: That man. record, we did it, and then it's just, like, you know, it was, like, a tough time, and, you know, we were in with Juice, and he previewed it, you know, the same night, and when we woke up, it was out, and then, you know, those type, types of things just started happening more and more, in like, these full-circle moments, like oh, well, you worked with it for years, the song never came out, but like randomly our A&R was like, oh, you want to work on this Dua song? And we work on it and it comes out and they're like randomly like, oh, Weezer actually ended up working on this song and making it their own and it came out and then all these things started to just like fall
3: Yeah, I think. in line. I think uh, it was almost like the momentum of all our hard work finally meeting Luck for the first time <laughs> yeah. and, and just, you know, crash landing, you know, right at this moment where I was like, Panini. You know, and I think, think, and you know, all these other records are starting to circulate that we had been working on for, like, three, four years before that, you know? Like, even Home, like, the Vince Staples record that we made for Spider-Verse is a record that we made with a friend, like, maybe two, three years before that movie even was, like, being developed, you know? And just all these moments started to finally start hitting in the center, you know? And, And a lot of that just came from, I think, you know, our persistence and... And hard work, and just uh, really just having a dream that we wanted to make, you know, be, you know, make true,
2: mm-hmm. and just having good energy, yeah. and that really changed everything. Things just ended up working out.
3: I mean, and I
0: I know like the Scotts ends up being like a a big moment too, and like you end up with the uh, with the Travis Scott Kate Cuddy record, and and you have a bunch of these songs that kind of come and go, but it's not the same thing as when Montero comes out, and it's like. Oh, that's um. This is like it came out. And I think I feel like everybody just assumed that it would be nominated for best album, and it would just assumed that it was just so much more unique and honest. And it's honest in a you know the fact that he's out and open about it in a community that doesn't always accept people who are out and open. It's a really it's gotta be a very exciting project to work on because there's a purpose to to it that's bigger than just like doing music. Yeah. Like that that album to me is like is is has so much more importance to it than you know another record with another artist or another like it wasn't just a pop record that's a pop record with a purpose that that album comes out and it's like and that those videos are not shy like he's coming out he's like i want you to know who i am yeah and you know you guys as executive producers have to bring that out of him tell me a little bit about that you know what that experience is um you know to be to to be a part of an album that in a way is that controversial, and also maybe it 's not controversial anymore i don 't know yeah. what 's it like from your perspective you know
2: what I think I was thinking about this the other day like I think coincidentally because we went to n y u and we had the experiences growing up that we did uh of meeting so many different types of people, and like you know in n y u my roommate was gay, you know like and there's so many people that are from different backgrounds and different you know outlooks on life different sexualities like it wasn't really a thing to us it was just like oh yeah this, whatever like oh yeah that's
3: I remember in our first session, uh <laughs> Yeah. When when we were making Panini, like, you know, when, when you export a song, obviously it's called like bouncing that, you know. So me and Dan were just like, yo, like bounce that, like, yo, bounce that. like we're just making like bounce that yeah, records. And then you know?
2: Nas is like so shy, he's like, bounce that. And we're like, Hey, yo, chill, bro, like bounce what? <laughs> <laughs> and we're like making all these jokes back and forth and like that was like our whole joke the first session. It's like, Oh yeah, bounce that for me one time. But it was like a joke, and then you know, we the 70 P comes out and uh and he and you know he comes out with with one of the songs like on during pride month and then he texts us because i think he was like nervous he's like okay these are like rap producers like how how are they going to perceive me after this is this going to change our relationship and he hits us on text like oh i guess we can't do those bounce that jokes anymore and then we're just like I guess we're just going to have to bounce it harder. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and li- literally, from that moment, that was just that, 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 like, that, that, that's when I think all of us became comfortable, you know, or at least where Nas like realized, like, oh, these guys like actually rock with me. It's like we yeah. can be homies, we could be best friends, we could be brothers, we can laugh about this stuff, we can joke about this stuff, but at the same time, we can change the world together, you know? And I, and I think working on that record, Montero, like, Nas is a superhero. Like, he's legitimately a real-life living superhero. Like, everything he stands for, everything he says, even just, like, when he's just standing there, when he's saying nothing, like, he represents what the change in the world needs to be, you know? And I think over this last year, uh, we've, we've found a lot of disappointment in, you know, some of these institutions and these establishments of, you know, being nominated or not being nominated at all, not winning in categories that I think we should be winning in. Um and seeing that happen it kind of made us realize like you know what if some place some some institutions or some people want to be on the wrong side of history our job is not to pay attention to that our job is actually to change people's lives and make people feel comfortable and make you know make people feel comfortable in their own skin make people want to be exactly who they want to be you know and you know especially after the grammy's going home like spending all this money on outfits like getting ready for it (laughs) like all this stuff getting six nominations and like just hoping that we'd walk away with one you know music video of the year maybe you know just one and to and to walk away with zero awards you know and just feel the disappointment of that and then immediately be like you know what maybe this is a sign that we're actually supposed to be a part of something bigger you know it's not it's not for the award shows it's not for all that stuff it's actually to make a difference in people's lives you know and and working with Nas like he he just embodies all of that you know like whenever he comes in the studio every single day it's, it's such a blessing just to be free and creating such free and open music with him you know like he just has to be honest and then me and Den through our You know, decade of of studying music and all these kind of things just have to put it into context that makes sense for the masses, you know? And that's what makes our relationship so beautiful is because we just have such a connection on what works and what's important to say and allow the freedom in the room to say, we can all be who we want to be, tell your story, make it real, make it true, and in return, make a fucking incredible video visual that, that, you know explains that even more and even further and me and Denz are always going to be behind you no matter what you know like after call me by your name oh you want to make industry baby cool we got you mm. you know it's like you want you want us to do this whole album you want us to be in with you five six seven days a week countless hours we got you because we're here to make your dreams come true we're here to like help you change the world essentially like he's just so important like he's truly so important he's been so important to our lives as well like Mm -hmm. he's just opened so many doors not you know from a work standpoint but just uh
0: human standpoint yeah Yeah. just let let let
3: us see so much of the world and you know he's given us so much and in return like we're just so grateful and so thankful to be working with someone as incredible as him you know truly
0: yeah going back to the taking your ego out of it the You as a producer and as a songwriter, as a professional, are in the service industry. Your job is not to write your song. It's not to produce your song. It's to write and produce the artist's best song. It's to serve them. It's to serve them and it's to serve their audience. If you can do that, then you're doing your job well. And Obviously, he recognizes it, and obviously, you guys do too. You know, going... I I don't, you know, without talking about award shows too much. It's like you know, I didn't understand it until I was involved in the committee side of things for for Grammys for a bit, but man, it is so hard so hard to get nominated. And when people say, you know, it's an honor to be nominated, when you see how many albums are trying to be nominated, how many artists are disappointed that they weren't even included in the nomination process. You know, it's like it's a it's such a win to to be nominated. Is it fun to get the award? Sure. But it really is irrelevant because you're talking about just being accepted amongst the community at that level shows so much movement and and um acceptance and, and a lot more now than than ever so you know look the guy should have been nominated for best country song you know <laughs> yeah, uh, you know absolutely. the the guy the guy's been knocked down a number of ways along you know but part of that is because he stands alone and is his own genre, and you guys serving him well are keeping him straddled on a number of genres, and that's that's what makes him, you know, a great artist. So it won't be the last time you guys end up going to, you know, going to the Grammys with him. Let's go to this next section. We're gonna go five to five for five. I'm gonna just list five things. I just want to hear your thoughts on on them. I'm gonna start with Juice World
3: one of the most incredible and one of the most talented people we've ever had the opportunity to just stand in a room with you know even like when we weren't making music with him me and Denzel would just stay just to see him you know record on 10 other people's beats like
2: it was like watching the craziest movie you ever seen just like in real life it's like watching you know someone juggle 14 bowling balls at the same time it's like how is he how is he doing that he would just sit down with the mic. You could play any beat and he's going to do a song from top to bottom with the most intricate bars and melodies at the same time and just be like, okay, let me try one more time and then do it again completely differently and then do that 10 times in a night, all different beats and you know different melodies and not you reusing the same lines it's like it was the craziest thing we've ever seen yeah it,
3: it, was, it was incredible it, it really was you know I, I remember when we made legends with him and just you know a, a the just the 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 feeling that was overwhelming that room you know and one, like it took him a couple takes just to figure out what he was going to do and then literally one take the whole entire song and then the second take was just him, you know, lighting a lighter in that moment of silence, and then that was it, you know? And it's, like, chills, you know? that. It,
2: it, yeah, you feel it, your heart sink when it the take ends and it's just, like, the song is over. And it's like, oh, oh, my God. Like, he just did that all at one time and has all that meaning in it.
3: Yeah, like, I, I you know, I, I truly wish he was still here. Like, he's just a he, phenomenal artist, you know? A phenomenal person, phenomenal human being. Like, he in a lot of ways, he was one of the first big artists that that made me and Denzel feel confident. Like he really like complimented our beats. I remember when we're uh, working on we, you know, we're we're working on the the first Sonic the Hedgehog movie, um, and there's a version of the song that you know that leaked that has him on it. And I remember pulling up to his house and just like, you know, he, he he was full of compliments. Like he 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 just loved making people feel great. You know, like he'd look at us and just be like, "Man, I love your beats. Like I love what you guys do. All this kind of stuff." Like really one of the first artists to make us feel like wow like we're we're being seen by someone who's like legitimately an icon you know especially an icon for like his generation and now you know an icon for the whole world and and all of music you know and true truly just like a, a gift to to the world you know like such an incredible such an incredible person incredible talent and you know i, I really wish he was still here like truly
2: kid Cudi. I feel like Cuddy is, like, the source of, like, a lot of our inspiration mm-hmm. musically and and just the approach to creativity in and, and life. And at the beginning, that was, like, one of our goals. That was, like, you know, maybe one day we'll have something with Kid Cuddy and finding all these ways of, like, okay, like, who knows, Cuddy? Like, maybe let's link with Dot, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, the first time hearing him on one of our beats like we just sent a bunch of beats and we link with dot he's like don't tell anyone i played you this and it's just like this Cuddy song from the first second we were just like oh my god like
3: yeah, and you know Kady C- was someone we grew up on you know he was one of the first artists that we grew up on to be like yo you're dope you know i remember being in high school like you know he performed at some small college like close to vermont and like i drove all the way there just to see him you know like early day and night days like 10 deep mixtapes like all that kind of stuff like he's been he's been someone that's like been in our lives for for so long and to actually have the opportunity to to sit in front of him you know he's like a rare pokemon you know it's like to actually (laughs) have the opportunity to sit in front of him and i remember the first studio session we ever had with him he played us the record that came out today do what i want and you know me and denzel are just like holy shit. And it was, you know, Mo Bamba's this massive hit at the time. And I remember he turned to us and he was like, I want you to make me something that is like Mo Bamba in my world. You know, like, get, like immediately was like, I'm gonna give you a, a task and I'm gonna see I'm gonna see how you guys interact with this. You know, and he, he was one of the first like people that we looked up to that came <laughs> in and was like, I'm gonna give you boys a challenge to see if you can actually. Hang. Yeah,
2: he just says that. And we're like in this studio, there's like a bunch of keyboards. Everybody's like, OK, so I want you to do this. And then he just sits down and he's just looking at us, and we're like, "Oh my god!"
3: <laughs> yeah. he, he
0: really put. I mean, you guys got homework. It, it, like he gave you actual homework. Yeah. and
3: he he really pushed because he did that time and time again. Like he really pushed us every single time we hopped in the room with him. Like he'd always give us a challenge, and then he'd reveal a story where you know the like Kanye and Jay Z and all and all the people that when he was a young kid coming into the game with Day and Night, and all he had to his name was Day and Night. People were coming to him like show us what you can do, you know, like show us what you're actually made of. And when he actually proved it, that's when he really started to get his flowers. That's when, he, you know, all these incredible records that we grew up on were, were made. You know, that was his yeah, That was his second,
0: experience. It's that second song. It's that third song. Mm-hmm. It's not the first one. The first one is like, that's the story. That's the one everyone, you know, that's how one hit wonders are made. It's the... The guys who can come back, that's the real wonder. Like, how can you actually write too in a world that's filled with all this other stuff? Yeah. But speaking, of, uh, let's go to the next one um, NYU Clive Davis Institute.
3: Probably the most important component of our early journey. Yeah. You know, it was really the moment that was like, if you guys want to be in music, here's your opportunity to A, come to a city that doesn't have you know three people living in your town it's like come be a part of a like a mech like a like a mecca you know where like so much music history is there you know we when we started in 2011 like you know purple swag had just come out by asap rocky like you know all like just the coolest shit was happening in new york you know it's like action bronson starting to pop up like world's fair you have like you know the fool's gold uh you know festivals that are happening and like You know, music was just such a strong component of the energy of New York City, you know, and we're like these 18 year old kids just wide eyed, just walking in, just wanting to be a part of that, you know, and NYU and Clive and like giving us an opportunity to learn not just how to make music and how to be in a studio, but also how to interact with lawyers how to interact with managers like learning music history learning le- like going to legal classes like having an opportunity to take a class with quest love all about prince you know like just <laughs> just all these insane opportunities and like all while like you know being in the dorms and just like being rowdy and being a kid and like you know just having fun with all these kids that are also chasing their dreams that are coming to the city and just like want to make art and want to be a part of that. You know, we might have all been like the losers in high school and all that kind of stuff, like all the art school kids. And all of a sudden, like, we're the coolest kids in New York. Like, we're the art school kids, (laughs) you know? And like, having the time of our lives, man, like, it was, like, it's just so important, you know? Like, all the flowers to the Clive Davis Institute, like, it, it gave us a perspective that I think really launched us into being able to know how to handle every curveball thrown at us, you know?
0: All right, Denzel, this one's for you uh david
2: david i say like when we started uh hanging out it was like you know when you meet someone it's like a reflection of you but like in so many different ways it was like okay we're both from small towns but uh I don't know anything outside of my circle, but I know this like little piece of information so well. And you know, like all these other things and they're almost like parallels. Like, oh, have you ever heard of justice? I'm like, no. And I'm like, oh, have you ever heard of Kirk Franklin? He's like, who? And then we're like putting these things together and, you know, making it, you know, change our perception of the things that we know best. And that's always been like our dynamic, like, I'll show something to David and then he'll like show it back to me in a different way. I'm like, Oh my God, how do you tell me something about that? I know that I'm showing you. So that's like, yeah, he's nice with that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) David Denzel.
3: I mean, you know, reflecting a lot of things that he just said, I think, uh, the, the amount of doors and the amount of perspectives that Denzel has opened up to me, uh, that has not only informed and boosted my own confidence as a musician. Um, it, it, it like he really showed me a path of of where I can go and really like showcase my skill sets and also grow within that. You know, like I think in a lot of ways, like we're you know very very incredible in our own ways of what we're best at in music. You know, and I, I look at Denzel and I'm just like he, he's a he's a rhythm god you know, like there, there's no one on planet earth that I think touches Denzel when it comes to his ability to make drums in any genre that you ask him to make them in, you know, and our, our chemistry on keyboards, like our ability to just look at each other's eyes and like not say a word and like go to one note and be like, ah, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. That, that's, exa- that's exactly you know? <laughs> that's exactly what we're supposed to go. you know, but it, it, this is my brother for life, like truly, like this is, this is, my, this is my family, you know? We've, we've known each other for 11 years now. Like, we've experienced so much together. Like, from being young kids, just, like, trying to get into events, just trying to chase a dream to all of a sudden, like, realizing a dream. And then from there, realizing that the dream is just literally the beginning. Now we got to prove ourselves in this dream, you know? And being able to look at him and always know that no matter what, we're chasing the same thing for each other, for ourselves, We're always keeping the foot on the pedal together and creating art at the end of the day like art that is important to us art that's important to the world art that has has changed our lives you know like i i truly don't know like if what would have happened if i was 18 and like didn't get accepted to the club yeah right
2: it was like the butterfly of like like where would we even be right now
3: like that
0: like I mean, it's it's all those things that we were saying. Like, what would have happened if you just had a session the day that they're like, hey, this guy's available tonight? And you're like, Lil well, Nas X? Okay. Well, he's got one song out. It just happens that you, you know, some of these things you can't control. But what you guys have done, first of all, thank you guys for doing this man, podcast. Man, thank yeah. you, Absolutely, man. Thank you for thank having you. Us. Um, But, you know, um, what you guys have, have shown is that you seize opportunities. And so one way or another you guys have continued to go through a lot of these doors together but you guys are 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 holding each other accountable and you guys are are managing to continue to repeat success because you guys are 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 able to handle that hype you guys are able to to work together and keep each other grounded and focused on what matters and there's not no better evidence than that Then when you have artists like Kid Cudi or Lil Nas X who keep coming back to you guys. It is so, so hard to develop a relationship over multiple albums with an artist. They often want to try other people. They want to try other things. And that's okay. That's also okay. But it says a lot about you guys wanting to push each other. Wanting to push your artists. Wanting to be accepting. Wanting to open doors. You guys are so smart it's really fun to watch. Um, you know, I'm glad that we're just meeting like this. I get the feeling that we'll be having these conversations in person soon, but, um, man, I I just really appreciate you guys and what you guys are, are standing for in the music business. It's good, good people who are smart. It's just a good recipe for, for the next, you know, the next generation of, of the music business so thank
3: you guys man thank you so much truly yeah
2: it's an yeah. honor to be on this podcast remember listening to this when we were down bad in new york like wow this is this is great information
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah truly well, there you go truly but you know thank you so much man for having us you know th- thank you truly for the kind words and like you know it's 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 really an honor to be able to to, to be on the show and, and speak to people like you you know ba- based on you know just trying to do the things that, that, you know, we've been dreaming of in life, you know? So thank you.
0: There you go. <laughs> this episode is produced by Joe London, Hypnosis, Mega House Management, and myself. Shout out Paige McDonald, Kelly Fox, Casey Robinson, David Silberstein, Tim Kirch, and Zach Weinstein. See you all next week. I'm Ross Golan, signing off.